Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Uh, this week, I, I plan on wrapping up kind of what we've been talking about. We have been visiting the subject of religion versus kingdom. Religion versus kingdom. Uh, go with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. We're looking at this subject of the kingdom of God versus religion. You know, we, we, we substantiated this, that the devil is not your problem. Evil is not your problem. Sin is not your problem. Uh, demons are not your problem. You know, a lot of times we have made that out to be our major challenge or our major issue, like we're fighting off the devil or I'm fighting off sin or I'm trying to live a life holy. I'm trying to live a life pleasing to God. And I believe that those things are great goals. Those things are great uh, things that we ought to strive for in our lives. But I do believe that living a holy life, living a sin-free life ought to be a byproduct of living the kingdom life. Okay? I just believe that Jesus went through what he went through, endured what he endured for something far greater than just trying to be as good of a person as I possibly can. I believe that he went through what he went through because he was bringing a kingdom back to this planet. And he was raising up kings and queens that would uh, legislate the kingdom of God on this earth. And everywhere we see brokenness, we get to bring redemption. Everywhere we see challenge, we get to bring answers. Everywhere we see problems, we get to bring solutions. Amen? And so it's not just trying to be as good as we can and do the best that we can while we're here and and honor God's word as much as we can. Those will be a byproduct if we truly make the kingdom of God a pursuit of ours. Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness and what? All these other things will come finding you, come running you down. Amen? So the kingdom of God ought to be the ultimate pursuit. Well, when you pursue the kingdom, you'll find less struggle with darkness, less struggle with Satan. If you truly understand your identity in Christ, if you truly understand what Jesus came and did, you'll understand that's all a completed work. The devil is a defeated foe. If you only knew, let me put it this way, if you only knew what the devil knows, the devil knows how defeated he is. The devil knows he's been conquered. The devil knows his time is running out. The devil knows that, that, that there is no chance, no hope of redemption for him. The devil knows that in the end, this thing is going to turn out very badly for him. He knows that. Do you know that? Because, you know, I, I find it interesting that we believe that the devil is as strong as we say that he is. And that he's doing as much as he is. Now, look, we see a world that has fallen. We see a world in destruction. We see a world that is is in decline. Yes. In fact, we know that those things are going to continue to take place. I don't need to tell you the stories of the past few weeks. You already know them. You're already aware of you're seeing the works of his hand. But at the end of the day, he knows his time is over. He knows his time is short. So when you really begin to live the kingdom life, 
and you really begin to understand your identity and your authority, who you are in Christ, what Christ has made available to you, you'll find less challenge with the devil. You'll find less of a struggle with sin in your life. Holiness will just be a byproduct of living the kingdom life. But there will be a challenge that you'll face that we see in the word of God that we are promised will come. And that's not with the devil. It's with religion. Because the devil's greatest tactic, the devil's greatest skill, if you will, if you want to call it that, is deception. The devil knows if I can't get you to blatantly run hard after God, then I'll get you to think you're running after God while pursuing something completely different. And so what he does then is he introduces this inferior activity called religion. He introduces this idea that, okay, if you're not just going to blatantly sin, then I'm going to get you to live by a certain code and a certain standard and certain rules and, and in a certain way that's no longer motivated by the heart. It's motivated by outward appearance. It's motivated by performance. It's motivated by what can I put on. It's motivated by how do I look in front of others. It's motivated by are they doing it as good as I'm doing it. It's motivated by they're not checking off all the boxes. They're not doing all the things. And then we begin to lose sight of the kingdom of God that brings redemption and brings hope and brings answers and brings solutions. And we start getting our eyes on this religious exercise, this religious activity that makes us look like we're playing the part when we're really not. In Matthew chapter 16, uh, you probably think I'm going to verses 18 and 19 where Jesus is talking to Peter and says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, right? Because we read this verse a lot in our church, don't we? Right? It's the introduction of the church. It's the introduction of who you are. But I want to go past all that. I want to go past to I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. I want to go past to I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. I want to get past the you uh, will forbid on earth what's forbidden in heaven and you will allow on earth. I want to get past all that and start with verse 21 because something interesting takes place here. The same Peter, the same Peter that just prophesied by the Spirit of God, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of the living God. The same Peter has a conversation with Jesus. This same Peter in verse 21, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes. You know what's interesting to me there is he listed three individuals that are religious, not military. I find that interesting. He doesn't list Pontius Pilate. He doesn't list the Roman emperor. He doesn't list the soldiers that ultimately pinned him to that cross, beat him with that whip, put that crown of thorns on his head. He didn't, he didn't mention any of that. He mentions religious activity, put him on the cross. 
If that tells you anything about how Jesus views religious activity. See, this is the thing. There's, there's two types of crisis in the world. Two types of crisis. One is the crisis that the world will face as it is subjected to darkness. Because of one man's sin, all have sinned. And now Satan becomes the ruler or the God of this world. And just because of that alone, we see the things that we're seeing today. I mean, everything from natural disasters, pestilence, famines, hurricanes, storms, just, uh, you know, the earth beating against itself uh, to to the immorality that's running rampant, the hatred in people's hearts. I mean, we we see the destruction in the world. That is crisis that comes to the world as a result of being under the subjection of the enemy. But there's a second crisis that comes. And this second crisis comes to the church as a result of preaching and following Jesus. Now, the first crisis that I gave you, we have been set free from that. When you come into the kingdom of God, when you become a believer, you now do not live subjected to the crisis that the world faces. There can be famine in the land and you'll be supplied for. There can be storms all around and you'll be protected. There can be viruses running rampant and you can find healing. Hello. People don't want to believe that. People don't want to believe that the church is, is, is set apart and, and set uh, uh, on a different standard than the world. And that's what we get to be. We get to be delivered from those things. We get to live free from those things. But then there's the crisis that comes to the church as a result of doing what Jesus told us to do. There was no crisis on earth that touched Jesus that came to the world. He was laying hands on lepers when everyone else was putting them in camps to get them to stay away from them as far as possible. He'd say, bring them to me. His disciples are in the middle of a storm. He gave a command, go to the other side. And what does he do? He gets up in the middle of the storm and says what? Peace, be still. Jesus did not live subjected to the crisis that the world faced. And neither should you. We've said it before, I'll say it again. Jesus did not come to this earth to show us what he could do. Jesus came to this earth to show us what we can do. And there should be no virus that scares the church. There should be no storm that scares the church. There should be no crisis that scares the church. In fact, I believe this, the church should become comfortable in crisis. You were born for crisis. What a great privilege and honor it is to live in 2022. What a great privilege it is to live in the midst of racial dysfunction. To live in the midst of viruses scaring people from even going outside of their homes. 
what, a, what an honor it is to live in a day uh, where there are, are travesties happening like what we've seen happen in schools and in churches the last few weeks. And the answer to that is we have to rise up and face those challenges and call those challenges to be not as though they are. Bring healing to sickness. Bring redemption to brokenness. Bring, 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 bring deliverance to those that are oppressed. But when we've, when we've got the church facing challenge and crisis in the world the way the world does, then we have no hope of facing the crisis that Jesus faced where he was going to suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes. You know, sometimes we face challenges because we disobey God. But I'm going to tell you right now, you'll face challenges because you obey God. Yes, you will. You'll face challenges because I'm literally doing exactly what God told me to do. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is stating here that it's actually a part of my purpose. It's a part of God's plan that I suffer many things. I don't know if we have a church today that's willing to endure that level of crisis. The church that is ready to respond the way Jesus is calling his kingdom church to respond to these types of crises. But we're going to look at it today. He says, I'll suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes. I'll be killed and be raised the third day. Peter took him aside. This is how most of us would respond to those kind of challenges. And began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. You know, I've had people that try to counter me on healing and divine health. Well, don't you know that the apostles, they all died. If we, if we can believe in healing, then why didn't... Their, their death did not come as a result of a natural disease. Their death did not come as a result of crisis number one that I gave you. It came as a result of crisis number two. That Jesus actually told them these things will happen. If they hated me, they will hate you. You'll be offered up. You'll lay your lives down for me. That's why his disciples was 12 and not 12,000. Y'all got me? That's why there's only 120 in the upper room. Not 120,000 in the upper room. Anybody can follow Jesus for the comfort and the blessings and the privileges that come as, as a result of being in the kingdom. But what about the challenges and the persecutions that come as a result of being in the kingdom? And I want to show you today, this whole series has been a contrast, religion versus kingdom. Religion responds one way to crisis, and the kingdom responds a different way to crisis. Amen. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned and told Peter, watch what he tells him. Get behind me, Satan. He literally calls him Satan. Now, he's not calling him the devil, but he's using a term, and the word Satan means offender. The word Satan means adversary. The word Satan means one standing in the way of. You understand that's what Satan is to you? He's standing in the way of something. He's opposing you. 
He's coming against you. He's the oppressor. Uh, I think it's in Revelations. He, he's called the accuser of the brethren. He is the, his whole goal is to stand in the way of you and what's on the other side, the kingdom of God. He's an adversary. He's an adversary. And so in this moment, Jesus is not literally calling Peter the devil, but he is saying you're acting a lot like him. Because the nature of the devil is to stand in the way of. Now, I would ask you this question. Between Peter and Jesus, between Peter and Judas, who was the friend and who was the one standing in the way? Who was the one that helped Jesus accomplish his purpose? And who was the one that was trying to keep Jesus from accomplishing his purpose? <laughs> See, the kingdom switches everything around. The kingdom messes everything up. When it comes to reconciling the natural with the spiritual, you, I mean, in the kingdom, if you want to get, you give. The way up is down. If you want to be great, be little, Right? The kingdom switches everything around. You want to be served? Learn how to serve. The kingdom switches all this stuff around. And so in this moment, who is the adversary and who's the advocate? Now, we would look in the natural and say, man, Peter, he's, he's fighting for his friend's life. He doesn't want to lose his friend. He, wants to, he doesn't want to lose this relationship. I mean, he's looking out for Jesus. He's trying to protect Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. See, when we don't see with the kingdom lens, then we will misinterpret people's intentions in our lives. And maybe the ones that are opposing you are actually the ones that are advancing you. <laughs> Come on now. And maybe the ones that you think are advocating for you are actually the ones holding you back from accomplishing what God wants you to see in your life. It switches everything around. Religion messes everything up. Religion distorts. Religion perverts. Religion twists. Religion takes what is whole and, and, and truthful and honest in God's best intentions, and it switches them around. But it does it in such a deceptive way that it gets you to accept it. It gets you to buy into it. It gets you to live it. It gets you to become it. It gets you to talk like it. Peter thinks he's advocating for his friend, and Jesus lets him know right away, you're not my friend. You're standing in my way. I've got a, pur I've got a purpose. I've got a plan to accomplish. I've got an assignment to fulfill, and you're standing in my way. Now, most of us would have said, oh, Peter, thank you so much. I appreciate, you know, I, I really don't want to go through with this. So, so glad I've got someone in my corner. Thank you for standing by my side. All right? Jesus just straight up calls him Satan. <laughs> Jesus straight up lets him know, you're in my way. You're not advocating for me. Now, he goes on to say this. In verse 23 there, get behind me, Satan. Watch this. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns but human concerns. You're not thinking about God's concerns. You're thinking about human concerns. 
If, if I could break down religion versus kingdom in just its most simplest form, this is where I would go. The kingdom has God's best interest at heart. It shares God's values. It shares God's heart. It shares God's motives. It shares God's purposes. It shares what God loves, the kingdom loves. What God hates, the kingdom hates. What God is fighting for, the kingdom fights for. But religion does the very opposite. Religion has no care or concern for the values of God whatsoever. It might look like it on the outside. It might carry itself in a way that I'm honoring God, but really it's only concerned with itself. It's only concerned with what's important to me. What makes me look the best, right? We started this whole thing off with the Pharisee and a prostitute. Another contrast where a Pharisee invited Jesus into his home to show him how well put everything is. But the prostitute comes in uninvited, raw, broken, here's the real deal, this is who I am. It's a a completely different process of thinking. It's a completely different, one shared the values of Jesus, the other was more concerned with how do I look. I mean, you can go read Luke chapter 11. Jesus addresses this with the Pharisees head on, the hypocrisy. He calls them whitewashed tombs. He says, on the outside, you look like you have it all together. On the inside, you're a burial ground for dead things. Hard words. Jesus had the hardest of words, not for the sinners, not for the, not for the, 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 castaways of society, not for the prostitutes, not for those that were literally caught in adultery like what we saw last week. He had the hardest of words in his ministry for the hypocrites. See, it's one thing to be lost and know you're lost. It's another to be lost but think you've been found. That's a level of deception. That's a level of delusion. And and, and religious Religion is delusional. Let me just put it that. Religion is absolutely a delusional way of thinking. It is succumbing to the way that the devil wants you to think. The Bible tells us he actually comes as an angel of light. (laughs) And he knows how to be an angel because he was one. I mean, I don't know about you. I don't want to be taking advice from somebody that was in heaven and got kicked out. How could you be in heaven and lose out on that life and take a third of the angels with you? No. Religion is delusional. And in this verse, in in verse 22, when Peter steps up and says, "Oh Oh no, Lord, may it never be. This will never happen to you. He doesn't even know he's giving in to religious thinking in that moment. Because in that moment, Peter's really thinking about himself. He's not thinking about mankind. 
He's not thinking about the Savior of the world laying down his life. He's not thinking about the Lamb slain before the foundations of the world. He's not thinking about all of mankind that's going to be redeemed and restored because of this act. No. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And then he goes on in verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He says, for whoever, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. You know, that's really what this weekend's all about. Some have gave their lives so that we could all live a life. That's ultimately what he's saying here. But religion has no sacrifice involved with it. There's nothing sacrificial about religion. But to take up your cross and follow Jesus... To deny yourself? No, religion puts self on the pedestal. Religion says, look at me. Religion says, look what I found. Religion says, look what I'm doing. Look how good I have it. But the kingdom isn't interested in anybody looking at them. You know, just yesterday we went to a funeral of a family member that lost his life serving this country. And one thing that they kept saying about Seth yesterday was, you know, ultimately, this is what he wanted to do. 30 years old, lost his life, serving this country. But from the age of two, that's all he ever wanted to do. Playing with army men, gets a BB gun at a young age, is always asking military family members questions about the military. He knew from a very young age what he was going to do with his life. Ultimately, he, he died doing exactly what he wanted to do. He went exactly how he wanted to go. There's a calling. His dad, when he spoke, uh, when he, spoke he, he, he said this. He said, you know, if Seth were here right now, he would have been telling all of us to stop with this mess. Stop fussing about me. I'm not a hero. We call him a hero now. If he were here, I'm not a hero. It's not about me. It's about this country. It's about what we're defending. It's about what we're fighting for. And in the same way, the kingdom seems to work a lot like that. It's not about me. Religion wants to put the spotlight on you. Religion wants to make this about us. Religion wants this to be, uh, you know, uh, what, what, what I'm accomplishing, what I'm gaining, where I'm going. Uh, we made this statement at, at some point in this series, but, you know, religion is far too preoccupied with impressing Jesus to ever become like Jesus. You see the difference? And Jesus isn't wanting to be impressed with what we can put on. He wants us to become like him. He says, take up your cross. He's letting Peter know in this moment, look, you think this is rough that I'm laying down my life. I'm, ask, I'm actually asking you to lay down yours. And you can lay it down right now 
You can lay it down in this moment by getting out of my way and letting me fulfill the assignment that God's called me to. Yeah, the kingdom works a little different. What will it benefit, verse 26, if someone gains the whole world yet loses his life? Y'all remember the rich young ruler when he came to Jesus? And he ultimately, what? Wanted the same goal, wanted the same result, wanted the same uh, ending that Jesus had. How can I be a part of your mission? How can I be a part of your kingdom? Well, obey the Ten Commandments. Oh, man, I've kept those since I was young. You know, it's interesting. The rich young ruler was real quick to answer what he had kept, what he had. I mean, he's a rich, young ruler. He's rich, he's young, and he's got influence. I mean, you've gained something. You've gained something in life. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But you can't be identified by that. You can't let that be what your life is all about. So then when Jesus responded and said, okay, go and sell all you have. Now we're shifting the conversation from keeping and getting to giving. Sacrifice. It says he went away sorrowful. See, the religious can't occupy the kingdom because they're too preoccupied with getting, keeping, having, rather than ever becoming. But what, what, what good is it going to do if you have gained the whole world, but yet you lose your life? And, of course, the kingdom, like everything else, flips this around and says what? If you want to gain your life, give it. Lay it down. Lay down your life. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. You know, I'll be honest, the, the whole message of Make Jesus Lord of your life. Confess Jesus Lord of your life so you can die and go to heaven is really religious at its core. It's I'm going to say something so I can get something in the end. Still at its core, it's what am I getting in return, Jesus? Okay, if I pray this prayer, if I live a good life, if I go to church, if I, if I read my Bible, if I do this, if I do that, What am I going to get? What am I going to have? What am I going to gain? What am I going to keep? At its core, it's religious. At its core, it's not sacrificial. See, there were people that followed Jesus for what they could get, but then there were a select few that followed Jesus for what they could give. You see the difference? And so in this moment, Jesus is trying to shift Peter's thinking and say, look, that's not going to be tolerated in the kingdom. You can't think about looking out for your best interest. You can't think about how can I salvage this moment. 
And I think the American church has, has, has gotten away from this because, you know, we have taken a gospel, we've taken a message that, yes, is loving, yes, is accepting, yes, is this is what Jesus came and did for you because he loves you and he cares for you and he wants to redeem your life. But at its, at, at, it, we, we are eliminating and neglecting the aspects of the gospel that demand any level of sacrifice from us. And so we come into the gospel on the lowest level of standard. And it makes it hard to ask church people or Christians to lay things down or not do this or we don't do that or we don't look like this. And now all the standards go out the window because here's the thing. Whatever standards you compromise to get someone, you'll have to continue to compromise to keep someone. You can't raise the standard after you've lowered it. You ever try to do that? Try to get someone in on the lowest level and then afterward tell them all the the commitments and all the things they need to agree to. It's like, whoa, wait a minute, I didn't agree to all that. Just try to go get in a cell phone. You got to tell me that stuff up front. They get you in with the six months free of service. They don't tell you that it's going to go up $20 a month after six months. They don't tell you you're going to be locked in for two years. They don't tell you that you've got to upgrade your phone every year. You've got to get the newest one to keep. They, they don't tell you all that. And so we're doing that with the American gospel. We're getting them in with all the benefits. Want to go to heaven? Do you know where you'll go when you die? Now, I'm not telling we go to people and say, look, you want to live a really hard life and you want to be broken and rejected and rebuked. <laughs> you ain't getting anybody to sign up for that. <laughs> but again, going back to our military, when they sign up, they know what they're signing up for. They don't get to boot camp and say, whoa, what's all these push-ups? <laughs> Why are you telling me when to wake up? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. It's too early. Tell me I got, I got how long to eat? Yeah, no. They know what they're signing up for. And then they go through reconditioning to help them respond quickly to orders and live up to a standard. I mean, you don't even get to pick their haircut. They don't get to pick the clothes they wear. Come on now. You didn't get to pick where you live. You're assigned, you're stationed, you're deployed. You don't get to say, ah, I don't really feel like going overseas at that time. That didn't work for me. Can I go in the winter? It's not so hot. Hell, my dad was in Afghanistan. He said it was 120 degrees, but then he said at night it would drop down in like the mid-80s, 90s, and he said he was freezing. I was like, freezing in 90 degrees? But because it's so hot that it makes that feel cold. He'd have to put a jacket on at night in 90-degree weather. That's the desert for you. When he called me and he said, hey, I've gotten orders. You know, one of the few times I've, I've heard my dad or seen my dad cry was in that moment. And he didn't get to talk to anybody and say, you know, I got a family at home. It's not really my thing. Middle East isn't really my thing. No, it's orders. 
Now, I'm not trying to take away the awesomeness of living the kingdom life. I'm not trying to take away all that it provides you. But, but we have to get back to a standard in the kingdom that isn't about, uh, I'll take that and that. I don't really want that. This, this, this make-believe kingdom that we're making up in, in the church has got to go. Because it's not creating the same result of believers that the kingdom was designed and intended to. The word is the word. The scripture is the scripture. The picking and choosing in this, you know, Burger King mentality, have it my way, isn't going to work, especially in these last days. And what Jesus is telling us is, like, look, I'm laying down. My, I'm going before you. I'm setting the standard. I'm setting the example. I'm going before you and showing you if you'll lay down your cross and follow me. He's letting them know right out the gate. Verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Acts chapter 4. Ultimately, the religious do not share the same values as the king. If your heart doesn't break for what the Father's heart breaks for. If your heart doesn't run toward the passions and the pursuits that the King is running toward. Then we might be more religious than we think. We might have accepted an inferior gospel than what Jesus intended to put on this earth. And in Acts chapter 4, we'll remind you, Acts chapter 2, the 120, they're filled, empowered by the Holy Spirit, comes upon them. 3,000 souls come in as Peter preaches that first message. The same Peter, by the way. Same Peter that stood in the way of Jesus. The same Peter that denied him three times. The same Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and preaches this powerful message. 3,000 people come into the kingdom. That's transformation right there. I think it's uh, safe to say that Peter got rid of his religious thinking and said, I'm going to buy into this kingdom all the way through. I'm going to buy into whatever this demands of me, whatever this requires of me. So now Peter and John, Acts chapter 3, are on their way to the temple to pray. There's a lame man there, been lame over 40 years. Silver and gold we have none, but what we do have in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. He gets up, dancing, leaping, praising God, goes to the temple with them. We get 5,000 more people born again that day because of that sign, that wonder. But we also get an uproar. We also get crisis number two that I told you about, where they're now challenged by the same group of people that Jesus mentioned in Matthew chapter 16 were going to kill him. Religious leaders, elders, scribes. Pharisees, Sadducees. And in Acts chapter 4, they're brought before this council. They're, they're brought before the heads of authority. They're brought before the, the, the key guys in all of this religious activity that man has accumulated. The same people that killed Jesus, now they're standing before. And now, what do you think is going to happen when they have two men standing in front of them 
that are doing what Jesus was doing when he was on earth, look like him, talk like him, sound like him, act like him, behave like him. You just killed this guy. And now we've got two more and then some all doing the same thing that this guy just was doing. That poses a problem. I mean, you you hate to find out that you killed something, but it multiplied. (laughs) And now there's more of them. When you kill one, you think you've gotten rid of it. And come to find out, now there's a bunch of them. These followers of Jesus. Uh, What should we, uh, how should we call them? What do we call them? Christians. Christians. You know what I love about that is that the believers never called themselves Christians. Not that they're not, but the term Christian came from outsiders that identified them as having followed Christ. It wasn't a label that they all got in a meeting and said, who votes for the term Christian? Let's call ourselves Christians. They were voted that by the outside and said, that sounds pretty good. We are Christians. You're an American because you live in America. You're a Christian because you follow Christ. Amen. So that was recognized by outsiders. At one point here in Acts chapter 4, it, it, it was stated that they recognized that these were untrained men, uneducated men, saying that what they were doing, what they were producing, what they were performing wasn't just on natural ability alone. There's no way that these fishermen, that, that these, the, these uh, you know, in, in one sense, lowlifes of society could be doing and accomplishing this. And it made this statement. They recognized they had been with Jesus. They had been with. That's what the kingdom will do. Religion will not identify you as having been with Jesus. You might be identified as having been with church, as we know it in the earth, having been with a denomination. But are we truly being recognized today in the earth as having been with Jesus? There's a difference. And in Acts chapter 4 and verse 23, uh, they, they could not punish them. They were fearing that there was a riot would take place. They didn't want to stir up more problems, more issues. So they threatened them and said, do not preach in the name of Jesus again. They responded and said, hey, whether or not it's right to obey you, we have to do what Jesus told us. And we will continue preaching in the name of Jesus. We will continue. See, the the kingdom responds to crisis differently. The kingdom will have you running right back into what caused the problem in the first place. In verse 23, after they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Notice that we're not talking about police. We're not talking about Roman military. We're not talking about the governor, Pontius Pilate, who's still around. We're not talking about the emperor of Rome. We're not talking about any kind of government official. We're talking about the chief priests, 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 followers of God, knowing Scripture, knowing the Old Testament, and the elders. 
Y'all seeing this? Look who they're standing before. And they reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together. Now notice Peter and John, they've gotten released and they go back to their own company. They go back to their own people. They go back to their own, they go back to their church group, their church assembly. You want to question why we do what we do. There's power in what we do here. There's something that is uh, uh, made available when you come and make yourself a part of this community. I don't know how people do it without church. I'll be honest. I've never had to in my life. All I've ever known. I'm 39 years old. I turned 39 on on this past Friday. I've been in church 39 years and nine months. (laughs) That's all I've ever known. But from what I hear from others that have been outside church, this is much better. This is much better. I've been through some struggles in life. I've been through some trials. I've been through some challenges. We've, we have faced some hard things. But I don't know how I would have made it without church, without a community of like-minded believers coming around you. And whether they were dropping off chicken soup or whether they were praying and holding our hands and weeping and crying with us, they were supplying a need that the world can never provide for its own. Now, I've seen the world take care of its own. And it put the church to shame sometimes. But when the church is doing what it's supposed to be doing, I mean, Paul tells the church, you guys should be edifying one another, encouraging one another, building up one another, strengthening one another. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's the way it's supposed to operate. And so they, they have faced this trial. They have faced this challenge. They have faced this crisis of being threatened with their life. I don't know what kind of week you had this week, but they were threatened with their life. And they go back to their community. They go back to their people. They go back to their like-minded believers. And they all begin, and they report what had been said, what had been done. And they raise their voices together to God and say, Oh God, why is all this happening to us? Why are all these bad things taking place? No, they're not grumbling and complaining. Come on now. They're not warring with God. They're not wrestling with, you know, is this even worth it? We go out here, we obey him. You told us to do signs in your name. You told us that these signs would follow them to believe. And now look what, it, look what, look what it's caused. Look what it's stirred up. No, they get in there and they say, Master, you are the one who made heaven and earth. They begin to worship God, can you come together and worship God right on the back end of a trial, of a struggle, of a crisis? You are the one who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot Feudal things. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. Notice this. They did not take the persecution personal. They said, God, 
they're warring against you. If they're oppressing us, they're oppressing you. If they're persecuting us, they're persecuting you. And you will hear the cries. And you, sometimes you just have to believe that the Lord will avenge you. Sometimes we're fighting battles we were never meant to fight because that was his. The battle is the Lord's. Joshua used to stand up and, and, and get before the Lord and say, Lord, if we lose this battle, it's on you. You're the one that's going to look weak. David, when he challenged Goliath, he challenged him what? In the name of the Lord of hosts. It's time for the church to rise up and, and get a backbone and become bold and courageous, not because of what we can do, but because of who he is. And if you let your enemy get, be, get bigger than your God, then you'll never rise up like they rise up. But these are kingdom people here. They begin by worshiping God. Then they begin by reminding themselves of the word of God. Then they, do, they, they refuse to take the persecution personal. For in fact, in this city, this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, watch this, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word. That's the very thing they were just told not to do. That you will grant to your servants, grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. Now, this is the difference between religion and kingdom. These guys are asking for more of the very thing that just got them in trouble. They are, they're not asking, look, they're not asking for less struggle. They're asking for more boldness. That's the tenacity of the kingdom church. We will not give up and lay down until we're done, until you're on display, until you until the whole earth sees the glory of God revealed, that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing. I mean, not to, over, not to overdo it, but again, just to go back to our military, they're the ones that are running into the things most people are running out of. I think about first responders. They're going into the problems that other people are trying to get out of. And we are to be those kingdom people that are running into the things that most people are afraid to confront. Consider their threats. Grant that your servants may speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They're literally asking for more of the whole, this whole ordeal. You think maybe they would go back to their company, go back to their group and say, hey guys, uh, just so you know, they threatened us with our lives. 
If we do any more signs, if we do any more miracles, if we preach any more in the name of, if we mention his name, God, I'm just, they're, they're a little sensitive. So maybe we, we, maybe we find another way to, this is what the American gospel has done. Maybe we find another way to, to, to still preach the name, but, 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 you know, soften it a little bit, you know, maybe, maybe not, you know, put it all out there. It's called watering down. It's called compromising truth. It's called taking away the power. And then all that you're left with is what we saw in 2 Timothy chapter 3, a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And they said, we're not going to just settle for a form of godliness. This is the thing. Crisis number one, God has delivered you from. God has delivered you from. Sickness has nothing on the believer. Storms and chaos in the world has nothing on a believer. Brokenness in the world has nothing on a believer. Sin doesn't have anything on you. Crisis number two, let me tell you how to get out of crisis number two. Persecution and and the challenges that come as a result of being a believer. Let me tell you how to get out of that. Anybody want to know how to get out of that trial? This is how. Die. That's all it takes. Just be non-existent. Because what, what, what they're up against, they, they could have come back to their group and they could have decided, guys, this is completely avoidable. What they're, what they're challenging us with, the crisis they're bringing us, the, the, the struggle, this oppression, at any point they could say, not worth it. At any point, they could say, all, I mean, all we have to do is not preach. I mean, I hate to say it. I only say it to stir us up to greater things and to bigger things. But I think a lot of the church today has accepted a softer way out of preaching the gospel but not taking on persecution. We can do better. We can do just like Peter and John. We can do better. And this is what I love about it, is they asked for more boldness to go right back into the very scenario that, honestly, they, 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 they got off with. Because we all know later on, Every single one of these loses their life. Every single one of these makes a sacrifice. You know who was not counted? In the apostles, the disciples, the rich young ruler. Because see, you, you can't, you, you, you'll never lay down your life if you're more concerned with what do you get in return. You'll never commit to the sacrifices of the kingdom of God if we won't commit our lives and lay down our lives sacrificially that I'm not the one trying to be benefited here. I'm not doing this for my comfort and my convenience. The exciting part about this is the church actually thrived in the midst of all this. 
It seemed like the more persecution that arose, the bolder the church got and the more that it grew. They couldn't stop it. In fact, you and I are a a product of what they laid, the foundation they put down for us. Now, are we going to be a people that they laid their lives down for this gospel, but we're going to find the softest, most comfortable way to live the kingdom life? I don't think that they made the sacrifices for that. Again, I'm not telling you to go out and stir up strife and, and stir up me. And I'm telling you that it's going to come. And if, if your thought is, well, how can I avoid it? How can I change it so that, the, man, at the end of the day, we know that persecution will arise. And Jesus told them in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 11. Whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at the very hour what must be said. Worship team, if you come. Don't worry about what they say. Don't worry about what they may do. We, I understand it. We might not be facing, we, we might not ever face the level of persecution that these and some around the world do face. You know, I remember, you know, as a kid, in certain groups of friends that weren't Christians, whether it was kids in the neighborhood or whatever, there was just this thought. They might make fun of me if they find out I'm a Christian. And I remember sometimes, you know, if, if, say, I had to go in early on a Saturday because I've got church the next morning. But honestly, that's probably the greatest level of persecution I've ever had to face in my life. I mean, for the most part, being a Christian and going to church is widely accepted in our community. I don't know. Maybe some of y'all come from communities where it's not. But, but here in South Georgia, come on now, let's be honest. What, what level of persecution are we really facing? The devil's not your problem. I want you to know that. The struggles and the trials of life that come to the world, man, that, that was not the struggles that Jesus, that's why Jesus could say trials and tribulations will come, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I've overcome all that. But for kingdom people, you know, my you know, a lot of this just comes out of, I just have a heart for the American church. I just have a, a burden. Where are we at? Where's our devotion at? What do we truly believe? I mean, when it comes down to it, 
the essence of it. How committed we are, or how committed are we to this thing that we call the kingdom of God? I mean, is it just religious exercise for us? Are we Christians as long as it's convenient? Are we, did we come into the kingdom because we were promised a life full of blessing and he would help me pay off my house and I would drive a nice car? And what, what, what is it that is stirring us up to live for him? What is it that is moving us toward dying for him? What are we willing to give up for the kingdom of God? What are we willing to lay down? What are we willing to, to neglect and abandon and let go? What are we willing to devote ourselves to in the kingdom of God? Because these individuals were willing to lay it all down. You know, I've always said in, in ministry that everybody has a one thing. That statement comes from the rich young ruler. Everybody believes they want to follow God until he addresses the one thing. And you really don't know how devoted people are until you hit the one thing. How committed are you? You don't find committed people in comfort. You don't find committed people in convenience. The committed ones are the ones that say, man, it's going to take a lot. I'm going to do it anyways. The committed ones are saying, wow, Holy Spirit, you need me to give that much? They do it anyways. Need me to go that much? You need me to be that much? You need me to do that much? Not out of religious activity. Not out of religious exercise but because their devotion in their heart for the kingdom of God was not just, I, I, I didn't just sign up for all that I can get. I signed up knowing ultimately I'm going to lay something down. You know, the direction that our world is going, the direction that even our country is grow, going, it's quickly becoming godless. It's quickly identifying who's going to uphold the standard of God's word and who's going to bow to the conveniences of life. Who's going to bow to what will people think? Who's going to bow to the world finding another way to try to bring an answer? I, I mean, you, I, I hate watching the world go in circles trying to provide solutions and answers to, thing, to things that God has already provided answers for. You know what I mean? I feel like every time there's a shooting, we have this stupid conversation. And I'm thinking, until you avoid people of the hatred in their heart and replace it with the love of God, what hope do we really have? You can't legislate hatred. And we're in, we're, we're in trying to, we're, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? You're just trying to, control it God wants to heal it I say that because I don't believe God is done with America I don't believe God is done with the United States 
I don't believe God is done with this country. I believe you understand the gospel that goes forth from this country. You understand the things that America is responsible for in getting the gospel. I mean, technology and, and the ministers and the availability, but it has also softened us. When you have such an ease of access, it softens our devotion. I don't invite the persecutions that the early church endured. I do not. But I do know that it causes the the remnant to rise. It causes those that are devoted and committed to say, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.